Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as always, is my partner, Kales. Good evening. Folks, we just got done with one of the craziest experiences <laughs> that we have ever had in a movie screening. We were watching Black Widow, and if you're familiar with the weather at all, here in Seattle, we are reaching just incredible heights when it comes to the temperatures. This is record-breaking high temperatures for us. Not just record-breaking like, oh, it's the highest day in on this day. It is literally <laughs> the highest temperature we've had in the history of Seattle's existence. So yeah, global warming is real, kids. But anyway, so we went to this movie screening of Black Widow, and we're watching the movie. Everything's going really cool, right? It's fine. And all of a sudden, we see some lights flash near the exit sign, and we're like, people start looking at each other like, what's going on? And then this voice comes over the intercom, and it says, management would like to inform you <laughs> that we need you to evacuate the building. <laughs> and everybody just like kind of looks at each other. The movie's about 15 minutes from the end at this point. Nobody moves, because we're all like, well, this is, must be bogus. <laughs> Nobody trusted it. Good thing it wasn't something like an active shooter outside. Anyway, our allied rep goes out and she comes back in and she's like, no, really, they need you to evacuate. Well, come to find out, it's got to be because of the heat. The same theater had several screens that had shut down earlier in the day because of the excessive heat it was just too, too taxing. And so the rest of the mall looked fine when we left. So I got to believe that, unfortunately, the, the movie screens and the actual equipment couldn't handle the heat and had to be shut down, which is really a bummer. Because we didn't get to see the last 15 minutes of the film. We did, however, talk to our man, E-Man, literally, from Emmanuel Noisette's movie reviews. You should check him out, E-Man's movie reviews on YouTube. He filled us in on the details so we do know how the movie ends and we could speak about it with a good, clear conscience now of <laughs> full understanding. And we're going to get to that one. But we just wanted to tell you about that experience. It was wild. It was absolutely wild. Kales, did you would you freak out at any moment or were you just kind of in a quizzical state what's funny is that we me and my girlfriend have saw the lights flash like even before the whole evacuation took place we saw the lights flash for a little bit and we looked at each other we was like is that is that part of the movie and we we thought we were seeing things and then we see the flash again and we hear this voice telling us that hey it's time to evacuate and so we saw a few people start to get up and leave and then my girlfriend was about to leave but i was like hold on hold on wait a minute wait a minute Let's not leave until everybody else leaves, because I was enjoying the film, and I didn't want my experience to be ruined. But then, sure enough, you know, our ally representative came in and was like, hey, everybody's got to go. And let me tell you, um, there's nothing worse than see, seeing a film that you're enjoying and then having to leave before it ends. I mean, I was full in. I was excited. I was ready to see the conclusion, and then boom. Out of nowhere, we get shut down. And then we go outside and we see that no one else is being evacuated. I'm looking like, okay, so I thought this was like a whole building shut down. <laughs> and it turns out that we were the only people, I guess, who got kicked out because everybody was getting their popcorn. Everybody was in line. Everybody was buying tickets ready to see their film. No, they, they were getting like, refunds. They were getting refunds. That that oh, line really? of that those like 100 people in the lobby downstairs, those people had gotten kicked out as well. And they were getting oh. refunds. Yeah. Because we didn't have to wait in that line to get a refund because obviously we were at a screening. So they had gotten kicked out as well. But yeah, man, it was wild. Like 
evacuate your theater and you walk out and there's just hundreds of people chilling <laughs> in lines. <laughs> You're like, wow, okay. It was it was well, surreal. Another, very, very surreal. But big another thanks. Another reason why this heat wave sucks. Yes. <laughs> as if there weren't enough. So, yeah, we'll get going on this so that both of us don't overheat. Who knows? Maybe our own laptops will start frying if we're too long. But big thanks again to Emmanuel Noisette, E-Man's Movie Reviews. Please check out his work, especially yeah. when it comes to Black Widow and the MCU. He is the man. He is the guy with all the theories. He's got all the breakdowns. I've been arguing with him just as we've been talking about the post credit scene in Black Widow, and I was trying to throw my own spin on it, and he already shut me down and told me I was crazy. And he knows his stuff. So we got to believe him. <laughs> but we will get to Black Widow after our first film. We want to talk about a documentary. And we're actually going to be covering three documentaries over the course of this week and a couple of episodes. And I'm going to cheat and tell you this is by far the best of them for me. This one is called Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. And it is directed by the amazing Morgan Neville. What's it about? Academy Award winning documentarian Morgan Neville reveals how Anthony Bourdain went from a chef at an obscure New York restaurant to one of the most notorious and beloved figures in the food world and beyond. Following Bourdain from the legendary New York dive bar Siberia to a perfect lunch in Provence with Michelin-starred chef Eric Repair, Roadrunner traces the singular trajectory of Bourdain's career as a best-selling author, world traveler, and Emmy-winning television writer and producer. A nuanced portrait of a complex, contradictory, and charismatic storyteller, Roadrunner is a fitting tribute to the man who reinvented cultural storytelling and himself over and over again. Okay, here's the thing I want to start off with uh, as we get into our likes. Sometimes we want to frame our conversation and our thoughts for you so that you know where we're coming from, because it might make a difference in what we say, having some context. So, Coles, when you tell us what you liked about this, can you start by telling me what's your history with Bourdain? Like, had you watched him? Did you know him? Were you a fan? Or is this just kind of something you're coming too cold? Bourdain, I wasn't too familiar with him when he was, when he had his TV show in operation and he was traveling around the world, but I definitely heard of him. I heard of Kitchen Confidential. I heard about him just going to different parts of the world and eating different food and seeing different places and exposing his audience to different cultures. I knew of him, but I wasn't really like a guy that was watching his show, you know, because I was young at the time. So, you know, watching food shows wasn't really my thing because, hey, I love food and watching food shows makes me hungry. So when I see somebody going and eating a good plate of food, it makes it like, hey, I want to get that. I want to eat that, but I know I can't eat it because I'm not I'm not traveling to that country anytime soon. <laughs> but yeah, I knew of Bourdain and I knew that he was a a fan favorite. And he had a lot of charisma and you know, his food his show was more about just eating food. It was about exposing, you know, different parts of the world that people hadn't seen in different cultures and and also just being a great storyteller. Okay, good. Well, so for me, I was not a super fan either. Like, I think basically I could just say ditto. I'd watched the show a few times and my main understanding of Bourdain came from the fact that he ate weird stuff. And I always thought that that was crazy because I am not a super adventurous eater. Like, I will try some things. But the things that Bourdain, I mean, there's a part in the documentary where he's eating a snake and I, you can just, I have a phobia. <laughs> like, it is 
it's disgusting. Like I need to look away during those moments. So that stuff's not exciting to me. So for me, I think it sounds like for both of us, this was a big learning experience and it was more than just celebrating someone we were already a fan of. It was being able to learn about him in his whole life in full context and with this full perspective for the first time. So with that being said, now, you know, our history with Anthony Bourdain and why don't you tell us what did you like about it? Documentaries like this are special. So many times we get profiles of legendary people and you can tell that the people who are behind the making of these documentaries, they don't want to stray too far away from the idealized image of these people. You know, there was a documentary I watched a few years ago by Allen Iverson and Allen Iverson, he's one of my favorite NBA players and he's a hero of mine. But I saw that this documentary was almost like whitewashing all of the things, all of the misdeeds that he did. And this is not me trying to say that, hey, anytime that a person has done something bad, put that on screen. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you don't get a full picture of, of a human when you're only showing them in the best of lights. Hey, human celebrities are just like you and me. I mean, we have our good days and we have our bad days. We have our regrets. We have our mistakes. We have our moments where we wish we could take something back. Uh, we have our times where we feel alone and we feel depressed. And in this film, you you see all the complexity of Anthony Bourdain. You know, you see him as this guy who was a chef and he made this great book that became a bestseller. And then he became famous and he started traveling the world. You know, he had a dream job. He had He had a life that most people envy. But what people didn't see, including you and me, is that this guy was searching for something. He had an empty void. You know, he he felt alone, even though a person in position shouldn't feel alone. You know, oftentimes we when celebrities come out and they talk about how they're depressed, how, you know, that all of this money and everything, this doesn't mean anything. It doesn't erase pain. It doesn't erase the feeling of malcontent. People will be like, oh, well, you got all this money. Oh, you got all these resources. Like, how can how can you feel pain? Like, you don't know what real pain is. And it's like, hey, do you understand that depression is just it's a part of a chemical imbalance in your brain? <laughs> money and cars and fame doesn't fix that. It's all a part of your brain. And oftentimes when we see celebrities, when we see celebrities that kill themselves, suicide, we, we wonder, like, well, how could they do that? You know, it looked like they had the perfect life. It looked like. They had the perfect life, but we don't get to see what's behind closed doors. We don't get to see what's behind the Instagram stories and, you know, the television shows and the movies and the guest appearances on talk shows. We don't see the people outside of that. And this documentary delved into that. You know, I really got to understand who Anthony Bourdain was, and it made me a bigger fan of his, even though he's not here with us anymore. I got to see what this guy was like. And I appreciate it. It was very inspiring and it was very emotional as well. Like I said in my review that if a person who's watching this, like even if you don't know who Anthony Bourdain is, if you're not crying by the end of this, then I don't think you have a heart. I mean, you know, you see how what the impact this guy had on people around him. You see the impact he had on people who he didn't even know existed. Like we have some of our critic friends who knew Anthony Bourdain, who watched this show religiously, and they talk about how much he meant to them. And we see what he was able to do with his show, how he was able to bring together, you know, people, unite people, bring cultures, you know, exposing, 
you know, and not just talking about how great the food tastes and like how great this country is, but also the people, you know, the situations like there was a scene in this documentary where he goes to Jamaica and he talks about how he's he cooked a lot of food for the Jamaican people and they had just been ravaged by an earthquake or a disaster. And you see there's a long line of people waiting to get food and you're seeing people are like they're fighting with each other to get food because they're starving. You know, they they don't have they didn't have much food to eat. And Anthony, he's watching this and it's filling him with sadness. And he's starting to see like, you know, this isn't just about food. You know, it's not just about, you know, being a TV show. It's about living and seeing what other people are going through so you can appreciate what you have you should you you understand how fragile life can be you know there's a thin line between being in this place and being in another place and i just thought it was an, an amazing documentary it's definitely one of the best docs i've seen and one of the best profiles of a famous person i've seen ever in my lifetime Ooh, high praise man yeah i that was beautifully said and I would agree with everything that you're you're getting at. I love how easy of a subject Bourdain is to make this film about. And so I think part of this is Morgan Neville and his talent as a director being able to capture that. And, and the thing with Bourdain, there's so much archival footage because he was on camera for so much of his life. And that provides a great amount of content for us to be able to kind of get behind the scenes like you don't have to make it up and it doesn't have to come all from interviews there's plenty of interview commentary here but there's so much of Bourdain himself in this documentary and that makes it real and personal in a way that you can't get if you don't have that kind of footage he was so verbose and so interesting and so descriptive and so introspective and engaging and he had such a way with words really he's just he was a storyteller but he told his stories through travel and food and so we learn that about him that he's so much more than just what i thought just the guy that goes to weird places around the world and eats funny stuff like it's it was more than that to him for him he wanted to see things and see the world as it was not as he'd heard it might be. So many great quotes from him in this film. One point he says, travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts and it even breaks your heart. That's not what we think of when we think of travel, Coles. We think of, I'm going to the beach or I'm going to the cool bullfight in Spain or the big event, right? We're going out somewhere for comfort specifically. Most of our travel is for comfort. It's not for learning and knowledge. That wasn't Anthony Bourdain. It was learning knowledge experience for him. He also says in this film, he says, I'm happiest in life when life is like a film. Happy is in the illusion. And there is so much to unpack in this because on one side, I love that he thinks of his life like a film because as film critics, I found us having a way to kind of really connect with this and with him and the way that he viewed his world. There's actually a moment in this movie that it was my favorite scene in the whole film. I think it kind of encapsulates the life of Anthony Bourdain really well. They are out and they're filming him and he is comparing his travels to Apocalypse Now. 
because again, he loves movies. And so he's using that as a reference point. And we get this incredible shot of him in a rainforest. He's soaked, it's pouring, and he's assisting some local villagers. He's got this spear and he's shoving a spear into what looks like this giant swine that they've got on the ground and they're, they're killing it, right? And the camera pans down and it shows his bare feet in this pool of brightly red soaked water. And the scene transitions from that brightly red soaked water and his feet in it into a red carpet and pans out and you see him in a suit and tie appearing to be photographed at some big, I think it's probably the Emmys because he, he was an Emmy award winning chef and, and personality and he's getting photographed. And I just, I thought so much was said in that shot, right? Like this is the life of Anthony Bourdain, but this is often what we think of is the guy in the suit winning the awards. But it was really all about this other experience he had. It, it was just absolutely beautiful. And I, I think the other half of that comp, that quote that really hit me where he says happy is in the illusion. It breaks my heart because I don't, I hate seeing people like Anthony who so clearly are searching for meaning and understanding. And it, I didn't get the sense that he ever found that peace. Like he doesn't have, he did not have a belief in something eternal. And I don't want to turn this into a religious debate, but it always fascinates me when people aren't a believer in something eternal because it's like, well, how do you move through life if you if you think that this is all there is to it? Then suicide becomes an option because what's the point, right? There's no there's nothing left. There's nowhere to go. It's not like you're you're transitioning. And I just I, I felt that really hard. And I love the way that the documentary isn't just about the the wins in his life. It's honest about the pain that suicide leaves behind on somebody's loved ones. There are some shots in this and in interview segments where the people that are interviewed earlier in the film as part of Anthony's life, who are just talking about these great memories and such, they have a hard time with the fact that he left them. Like he left a child behind, right? And there's a wrestling that you have to do with understanding the depression and mental struggle that leads a person to do that with acknowledging how hard it is and what it costs for the people that, that are left that love him. And I just love how the film kind of shows that without trying to be preachy. I actually messaged our good friend, Josh Berkey, who runs victims and villains. As soon as this was done, I was like, dude, you have to cut like, this is a perfect documentary for his show because it's all about suicide awareness and mental health. And, and I would love to hear his take on Bourdain and how it's, how it's shown to us here. But yeah, I, I thought this was great, man. I thought it was just beautiful, inspirational, and tragic all at once. And it, it really is just an amazing, complete portrait of this man. Yeah, I agree in the same way. Uh, you know, it definitely opens up the discussion for mental health and, you know, understanding that you know, if you have somebody out there that, you know, is showing signs of feeling empty, of feeling lonely, like reach out to your friends. You know, there's so many times we go through life where we take our friends and the people around us for granted. You know, we see somebody who's having a bad day, be like, oh, you know, they'll get over it. But 
you never know. You just never know, like, what is so, what battle someone is fighting in their life. And I think it's very important to check on the people we love to make sure that they're doing okay. It doesn't have to be something where we're doing an intervention for and just be like, hey, how are you doing today? You know, is there anything bothering you? Is there anything that I can do? Like, show somebody that you care. Show somebody that they're not alone. And I think in the documentary, you know, Anthony Bourdain, he just didn't realize the love that people have for him. You know, he didn't realize how much he meant to other people. He just felt he like he was in this box, like he was just alone, and it was never going to get fixed. The hole that he had in his heart was never going to get fixed, and he felt that the only way that he was going to be able to escape that pain was by committing suicide, and it it's sad. You know, it's very sad, not just sad for his loved ones, but sad for all the people who watch the show, his fans, you know, and also sad for just in general, you know, it, it's never easy when someone goes out that way. No, no, it, it's definitely not. And I think, you know, that's part of the thing here. Like if you, if you or I were to do this, right, Coles, no one's going to make a documentary about us that people are going to be able to experience this now obviously we probably have not touched the amount of people in some way that Bourdain has because we weren't a television personality with millions of people watching us so it makes sense but it's a unique way to look into someone's life where the everyman isn't going to have that and the people in their life aren't going to necessarily have this exploration looking for answers and deep dive into their personality but I, anyway I'm grateful for the film and I think it is really stellar and and I'm a fan, and I'm sad that I'm a fan now, and I wasn't a fan and able to kind of enjoy him when he was alive and creating content. The, the amazing thing is that that probably is still there, though. If we want to watch Kenshin Confidential on a Cook's tour and read his books and and experience the things that he did, we can still do that. And this is a great place to start. So was there anything you didn't like about this? No, I didn't find any faults in this i enjoyed every bit of it and i found myself just being riveted by it yeah so i would say the thing that holds it slightly back for me from like five star material is simply that i think it's a bit stretched out at times i think it could have been consolidated some and played a little bit better i feel like the pacing is just drawn just a bit too far it goes really repetitive a couple of times in the middle where it feels like we're just in another location, but we're really experiencing the same thing and the same stuff that he is. So I thought that that could have been tightened up. I, I didn't know if maybe it was stretched out to two hours. A lot of docs aren't two hours. Thought maybe that might be just because it's getting a theater release. I'm not sure, but I just thought there was a little bit off with the pacing, but overall, I mean, it's phenomenal and I don't have anything major that I would, call out as a negative of this either only nitpicks so like i said it will be in theaters on july 16th so this is a coming a few weeks away you've got time to make a plan i'm gonna guess that Coles is feeling this and says to go to the movies am i right yes i'm strongly feeling this so me too and it's a documentary which is not usually the case a lot of times we would say you're fine to watch this at home I think that the imagery in this, the photography, because we're doing travels and we're getting all of this archival footage, I think it will play amazingly well 
on a big screen. And I would love to see some of these locations that Bourdain visited with the crisp, you know, up res textures and such that they get um, from putting it into a theater uh, ratio. So, yeah, definitely say go see it in the theaters. Moving on. Now we're going to talk about that incredible Black Widow movie that we just saw. Well, I guess it was an incredible experience. Maybe it was an incredible movie. You're about to find out. The movie stars Scarlett Johansson, obviously, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, O.T. Fagbinle, William Hurt, Ray Winstone, and Rachel Weisz. Directed by Kate Shortland, and it is written by Eric Pearson. What's it about? Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. I'm a little annoyed that I left that in my synopsis because I just feel dumb reading it. But you know what? Maybe this is someone's first experience with a Marvel movie out there. I don't know. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in her wake long before she became an Avenger. All right, man. What do you like about Black Widow? Well, first of all, I'd like to start off and say that it's great seeing Marvel back in the theaters again. Uh, the last time we had a Marvel film you know, that felt like an event was maybe in-game, and I wouldn't say I would put this in the event tier, but it's just nice to see, um, you know, Marvel back again, you know, on the big screen. Pew really steals this film for me. Um, Johansson, of course, she's great. You know, we all know about Natasha, but Pew comes in, she's like the rookie of the year. You know, I, I, I love that she was able to nail the Russian accent. I love her dynamic with Natasha. You know, they're sisters. They, they have that, they have that sisterly bond. And these are both characters who have been broken. You know, they haven't been able to really experience what normality is. You know, they were trained to be killers. They were trained to be killers from a young age and they were psychologically conditioned, you know, to not enjoy or be able to live the life that me and you have been able to live you know we were able to experience childhood we were able to experience you know having a family having parents you know being able to play with kids but no they were immediately thrown in to thrown into a chamber where they were made to be assassins and you know we have seen this part of natasha's story in avengers asia ultron we saw the flashbacks where we seen her beginnings and it was great to have more of that story fleshed out and seeing where she comes from and seeing, you know, how much her past has impacted who she is. And another thing I wanted to point out is that, you know, the villain, you know, he may not be as much like powerful, like a Thanos or anybody, but I think he's, he's horrifying. It's a horrifying villain. I mean, this is a guy who has been able to manipulate and, been able to get this vast number of women all around the world to operate under his whim, to to be able to cause chaos, to be able to take out this target and that target, all at the push of a button, all at his um control. And it, it makes me think about what we're seeing nowadays where we have propaganda, where we have misinformation, where we have people who are using misinformation to be able to galvanize this group of people, you know, to do crazy things. I mean, we've seen the Capitol riot, you know, uh, at the beginning of the year. And while the Capitol riot may not be something akin to a Marvel superhero film, I mean, it's kind of almost the same thing. You know, there's this one person who was in control and it was able to cause a lot of people to 
cause chaos and mayhem. And I love I love that part of the story, and it felt very dramatic. You know, there are still some funny moments, but this is a very dark film when you get to the meat of it. I love the hand-to-hand choreography. I love the way that the action was directed, you know, with the edits, fast edits, and the intense hand-to-hand combat. I love Taskmaster. Taskmaster is great. You know, Taskmaster is the... He's an entity. They're an entity that can mimic whatever a hero does. Like, whatever you think you can do, Taskmaster can do that. And it was it was going to be great to see how they were going to fold Taskmaster. And we weren't able to, thanks to being evacuated out of the theater, but we ended up getting some clarification by E-Man. And seeing who was Taskmaster was a good surprise for me as well. I was thinking it was going to be somebody like maybe a, a Matt Damon or something like that, or maybe like a big like star that was going to be Taskmaster. But who Taskmaster is under the mask, that added more drama to the story. And also seeing Rachel Wise and David Harbour. You know, there are a couple of my favorite actors, so it was great to see them have roles in a Marvel film. And it doesn't feel as epic, but I think the storytelling was greatly well-paced. You know, I, I was entertained. I wasn't bored. Not one minute. I was actually excited, you know, to see what was going to happen next. So, hey, Marvel movies are back. This is a good way to start the train again. Yeah, no, totally agree with most all of that. I think there's a good and a bad that comes with Florence Pugh as Yelena, the sister of Natasha Romanoff, being the MVP of a movie. When your movie is literally about a person in the title, like it is a Black Widow solo film. We've waited over a decade to get a Black Widow silver uh, solo film. Everybody wanted Black Widow to be the star of her own show. When Florence Pugh comes in and kind of steals your thunder, not sure that's a great thing. It's not, it's, it is great <laughs> in the movie. It's great. Like it's fun, but it's kind of like a disservice in a sense too to Scarlett Johansson because you're still kind of not the star of your own show. It's a really weird dynamic. And it, I think it plays it well though. I really do. That's not, a negative, it's more of an observation. I just want to point that out because, you know, when you think you're getting a Black Widow movie, you expect her to get to really shine at the best she's ever shined. She doesn't, in my opinion. So I, I guess I'm, that's kind of a dislike, but really it's not because Yelena makes up for that. So Florence Pugh is amazing. She brings some awesome humor to this. I, I walked out, Kalis, and my first thought, no kidding, was, wow, this is a lot like F9 for me. There's a bunch of themes of family, of figuring out that maybe you were doing something for the wrong reasons, and now you want to make things right, but you need your family to do it, and they're not blood family, they're just family, adopted family, so to speak. And it's a big blockbuster, it's got bad CGI, getting my dislike out of the way here, like terrible CGI for most of it, in my opinion. Absolutely astonishing to me how movies like Black Widow and F9 can look this bad in some of their moments in action pieces. Not hand-to-hand combat, but like with big, you know, vehicles exploding and flipping around the screen. And when characters are swinging around the screen, my God, it is the most atrocious looking stupid. I could do it with G.I. Joes and you guys would probably think it looks better. I'm just going to cheat. I'm getting my dislikes out of the way now. But like, that's my biggest one is I'm just like, I I get taken out of a movie 
when it looked as bad as it did at moments here. But then the flip side of that, the human storytelling, like you said, I love the pacing. I love the spy aspect of this. I love getting to dig into Natasha's backstory, finding out how she became Black Widow, why she's called that. We learn about like why she has the tools she has and that there's this deep, dark network. And we really get to dig into some of the little nuggets that she drops across the different films in the MCU about her past and why she feels the way she feels about why is she carrying all of this like animosity toward herself? Why does she always feel like she wants and needs redemption of some kind? She did some dark stuff, people, and we get to learn about that and wrestle with it with her. And so I really enjoyed that. I thought David Harbour and Rachel Weiss were awesome. Just great, perfectly placed Harbour specifically with his comedy. Uh, Yolanda and, and also Florence Pugh bringing some really great jokes. That's what the other part of F9 it reminded me of is there's some poking fun of their own formula in this film that is reminiscent of the way that F9 does that. And it's just it's hilarious. I thought that the reveal was a really surprising thing as well. I thought the drama was great. I was super bummed because I was into it. I was engaged and I was excited and I wanted to see it all in for myself. And it just was a kind of a letdown. I do think that the post credit scene sets up some awesome next Marvel phase stuff to happen and i think people are going to be like oh my gosh <laughs> you know because that was my reaction so that will be fun to see how it ties into things with characters and yeah I, the, the the other biggest dislike coles is just really for me that i hate that this came when it did i mean it's a disservice there's a film here that if it came out before endgame specifically for Infinity War and Endgame, in the timeline where it belongs, it would have allowed us to have a different experience in Endgame. And spoilers, I'm sorry, it's been long enough, folks, but when Natasha dies and sacrifices herself in Endgame, I felt something, and I get teary. But all I can tell you is, I would have been a wreck had I gotten to see this first, because I would have had so much more context for what came before. It also feels to me, because of some of the way it's shot, and this is a new director to the franchise. I don't think she's done a lot of action stuff before, and I think that shows. It feels like a phase one film. E-Man and I were talking about this. You know, Captain America, the first movie. Thor, the first movie. These origin stories. It feels like that. So it's kind of out of place here randomly at the end of all things right it just doesn't fit in it that way perfectly it's like a round you know movie in a square movie hole but it didn't stop me from enjoying it that's the the takeaway and the big piece here is that ultimately for me i had a blast watching it it's not gonna end up being my favorite because i don't think it has the big memorable things about it that most marvel movies do that I can you could name them off and I'd be like that scene that scene that scene I don't really have many of those with this even though it's a great experience all the way through it's going to be kind of mid-tier for me but that's good and you're right man you said it the best thank goodness they're back like I've loved the Marvel TV story storytelling and how well they've managed to do that in that small 
episodic structure, but this is the MCU, and this is how we want to experience it. Bring on the rest of those movies coming later this year, man. Like I'm, I'm ready to be back and to be excited for those again. Was there anything that particularly that you didn't like about it, or was it just pretty much all good stuff? Now I'm piggybacking off what you said about the timeline. When we saw the the beginning of the film and we're seeing Ross and we're seeing, hey, like she violated the, the Sokovia Accords and we're trying to track her down. I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I see where this film should have been at. This film should have came out right after Civil War. <laughs> you know, we're hearing about Natasha attacks the King of Wakanda. You know, we got to stop her. And we're hearing about Captain America and we're hearing about the Avengers and everything. And it felt like, OK, like once. Infinity War and Endgame were done, those epic adventures, you know, seeing this film, it's like, okay, I mean, it's a nice consolation prize, but why? Uh, I mean, this would have hit much harder if it was released before Infinity War. You know, not just for Natasha's storytelling, but maybe for the other characters in the film. Maybe there could have been a way to link up, you know, this film with Infinity War and Endgame. Maybe you get the end credit scene where we're seeing that Thanos is about to come to Earth and everything. Like, I feel like there was a missed opportunity with the way that this was released. And also, the visuals, I'll give it to you, man. There's one sequence where Natasha and Yelena are going to save David Harbour's character in this snow-capped area. And the way that Natasha is swinging around, <laughs> it does look like a, like a, like a G.I. Joe doll. Like, it really looks like I was in my room at seven years old playing with my action figures, and they're just standing there stiff. Like, they can't yeah. move. <laughs> and somebody's got an old little Sony handheld DV cam, and they're like, yeah, swing them to the left, Calis. Oh, throw that white pair of shorts at them, snowball. You know, that's what it feels like. Yes, and there is no memorable moment in this film. Now, hey, you don't really need a memorable moment to be a great film, I feel. I feel that you can still be great. If you hit aspects of storytelling, if you hit the aspects of characterization, if you hit certain aspects of action, you can still have a great film. But yes, I mean, when you go down the long list of like MCU films, like, you know, The Winter Soldier, you get Black Panther, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Volume 2, or even something like Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, it, it, this feels more in tune with the first Ant-Man and with the other origin stories that you named. You know, it's a there's nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing that really stands out among the other Marvel films. It's not going to be a favorite. It's not going to be something I'm going to put into my top ten. But that's not something that is a big drawback. You know, I would still say, hey, go out and see this because it's Marvel. And also, you still get to see Scarlett Johansson, Florence Pugh, Rachel Wise, David Harbour. You get to see these great actors. And the action is great at times it's great at times it's not fully great all the time but it's great in most parts yeah and i hear we missed the best scene according to e-man the best action scene in the movie happens uh. in that 15 minutes when we were being evacuated <laughs> <laughs> from the theater because it was so hot so bummer bummer man hopefully we will get to catch up with this like the rest of folks and see those moments for ourselves but yeah um in theaters and streaming on Disney Plus with Premiere Access. So this is another one of those $30, or you can wait, I think, until it was September-ish. Is I was telling my ex-wife, she asked me, she's like, when do I get to watch Black Widow? And I looked it up, and I was, like, depressed. It's three months that you have to wait 
or you pay the 30 bucks and you get access to it up until then for all you want. Anyway, in theaters and streaming on Disney Plus with Premier Access on July 9th. What's your recommendation for folks on this one? I'm feeling it. Um, if you've missed Marvel like I did during the pandemic, then definitely go out and see this film in theaters. Premier Access, different story. I, I have a weird relationship with Premier Access. You know, you, you know how it is back in the day when you were buying songs off of iTunes. Like it was only two ninety nine, but you were like, no, nah, I'm not gonna buy two ninety nine for a song off of iTunes. And now we have things like Spotify and Apple Music, and so now you pay ten months for subscription for a service, then boom, you're good with that. I don't know. I don't think I could recommend this as like being worth $30. I don't think I could recommend any film being worth $30 unless you have a family of four or five and you want to sit down, then you're getting your money's worth. But if you're just a dude or a woman who's sitting there by yourself, single, and you want to sit down and watch this, I would say rather go to the theater. Don't sit on the couch and pay $30 for this. Go into the theater. You'll save you about 15 bucks. Yep, absolutely. And a lot of people go to the movies together. So if you're a couple who are going on a date night or a married couple or just a couple of guy friends like me and my roommate who would go see movies together all the time, 15 bucks each to watch it at home or 15 bucks each to watch it in IMAX. I mean, like, it's a no-brainer, honestly, and you're going to get such a better experience. So I'm feeling it. I'm saying go see it in the theater as well, and I agree 100% with you. I have a hard time believing anything is worth $30 to not even own. That's just, it is a mind-boggling thing for me, and I hope Disney stops as soon as possible because I don't like it. I think it is restrictive and prohibitive of people to get a chance to see their movies. Their movies are great. We all love them. We all give them plenty of money. The mouse can take a hit on this, okay? Just chill. Just freaking chill, Mickey. Okay, well, that's it for us, folks. Uh, first up, if you have not got a chance to do this yet, could you please drop us a rating on the podcast app of your choice, specifically if you're on Apple's platform, that would be really helpful. We're trying to reach 200 ratings. You don't have to leave a review and write words if you don't want, but if you do, that'd be awesome. But just dropping a five-star rating there. Once we get to 200, we can resubmit for approval at Rotten Tomatoes, and we can get the podcast recognized on that important site for all of our qualms with it. It is a big deal, and it will bring a lot of eyes and a lot of ears to the pod and so we want to be there, you know, we want to be recognized and have it would make us feel really, really good, honestly. So uh, we would like to bring more people into the conversation. So give us a rating. We'd appreciate it. Thank you very much. That's it for us this time. We hope that one of these films or both of these films has piqued your interest. And we would love to hear what you think when you see the films that are discussed. So always you can hit us up on Twitter at Feelin Film or at Black Nerd Magic. And you can join the Feelin Film Facebook discussion group. There's always a link in the show notes. And you can come talk about movies with us all day every day. It's a great group of people, and we would love to have you. We'll be back soon, later this week, in just a couple days. Until then, keep feeling film, and stay cool if you're in Seattle. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. 
but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.